All right, welcome. And uh, this is our first uh, virgin episode of Essential Adaptations, Post-COVID Business Survival Strategies, what we consider the voice of podiatry. We're going to be a positive force in our profession, and welcome. My name is Dr. Jeff Frederick, and you'll meet my co-host, Dr. Juliana, uh, shortly. But first, uh, we want to uh, give you a little bit about why we're here and what we're about and what we're trying to do. So this is our first episode, episode one, one and um, our intent here is to do something a little bit differently. Um, in podiatry right now, the podiatric conversation is uh, somewhat static. You know, we have e-blasts, we have webinars, we have conferences, but we don't have anything that is dynamic and live. And that's why we decided to launch um, a positive force and voice of podiatry in a live streaming video podcast. And what we want to do with this podcast is we're going to do it every other week, twice a month, first week and uh, uh, third week of the uh, month. And we're going to um, tackle the difficult issues in podiatry. We're going to uh, basically talk about everything podiatry, all the hurdles, all the roadblocks, all the problems. We're going to dig very deep into becoming a successful office. Now, both John and I uh, both have uh, a long history of background in practice management. We've both lectured across the country for many years. But we thought this type of format where we can bring it to you in uh, 30 minutes or less uh, every other week, where we can tackle stuff that, uh, that you're dealing with. And uh, uh, we have many episodes coming up. Um, we really are very interested in helping our colleagues become much, much more successful. In the end, our goal is to enhance and help podiatry grow. And uh, that uh, is a lofty goal, I know. And uh, bear in mind, this is our first launch of this. So in the, um, oh, how can I say this? In the words of Brene Brown, if you know who that is, she does a lot of TED Talks. Um, she's a uh, sociologist and she calls this FFT. And FFT is what we're dealing with in the pandemic. And FFT is what John and I are dealing with in this uh, video podcast. And FFT stands for first frickin' time. And the friggin is a different word. So I, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but we're going to launch into that. So sit back, be entertained. We hope this will be easy for you to listen to as the essential adaptations, the voice of podiatry begins now. We're going to do our first episode in an interview style. And who better to interview than my co-host, Dr. John uh, Juliana. So we're going to bring him in and we're going to take a look and uh, we're going to see each other. Oh, my goodness. John, what's hey with Jeff, the beer? How are you? What, what happened to you? It's the, uh, you know, the whole post-COVID look here, pal. Um, I figured with, uh, with the beard and the weight gain for, you know, throughout this pandemic, I'm going for the Orson Welles look. <laughs> well, it looks good what, on you. What are you going for? Are you going for Yule Brenner? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, hair does not grow on a busy street. True. So uh, as our first official guest on to Essential uh, Adaptations, uh, I've prepared a list of questions for you. And okay. uh, I did not let you see these ahead of time because I wanted uh, off the cuff of, of what, you, uh, what you think. Now, many people may not know your background, so I think it's important for us to talk a little bit about that. 
many aren't aware that you have a very diverse background. You're not, uh, you, you know, not just running a busy, uh, busy podiatric uh, practice in, in your history, but you also have a background in business management, economics, and uh, people would be surprised pharmacology also uh, is in your background. So I'd like to start off uh, asking you a little bit about your take on this pandemic. What are your thoughts on, uh, on it and where it's headed? Whew, that's, a, that's a tough question, where, particularly where it's heading is a tough question. You know, um, I don't think that anybody can argue with the fact that this is creating some very challenging times for everybody, particularly small businesses, which, of course, include our podiatry business. Um, I've heard the word unprecedented used many, many times. Um, I'm not terribly convinced that it's completely unprecedented. Um, we've, we've been through pandemics and epidemics before. Um, what's unprecedented is really the way we've addressed it this time. Um, and, and I'm not being negative about how we addressed it. I think if we didn't address it the way that we did, many, many thousands more people would have perished. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think anybody could argue the fact that uh, we've had mitigation strategies this time that have been historic. We've closed down the economy and that's been historic. You know, I always talk about how in 1968, when I was only nine years old, um, there was a, pa a pandemic that probably rivals this one to many extents. That's the Hong Kong flu. And during the Hong Kong flu, almost a half a million people gathered shoulder to shoulder to watch a concert. And that concert, of course, was Woodstock. Nobody gave a second thought like we're talking about today and, and you know, like what's going on today. So, you know, where, where is this heading, Jeff? I think that that's the big question mark. That's what's creating a lot of the anxiety of today. I will tell you personally that I think that we have, we, we have to adapt as a society. I don't think you're going to see this formal end to this pandemic. I, I do believe it's going to be a cyclic thing. Um, I believe that people will forever be a little bit more germophobic than they have in the past. Uh, and I believe you're not gonna see a complete comfort zone associated even with the adaptation until we have definitive proof that if you do, heaven forbid, get this virus, well, there are mitigating drugs or vaccines, remdesivir, hydroxychloroquine, convalescent plasma, whatever it may be, that this will be able to help you. I think that's when you'll begin to see some, some comfort level. Um, we, we're approaching an adaptive phase. There's no question about it. You know, they talk about the new normal. I'm not even a big fan of that phrase, new normal, because I don't think there'll be anything normal about it. Um, I think, again, we'll be forever a little bit of a germaphobe. And uh, we just have to adapt. And, and maybe we could talk about some of those adaptations later. Yeah, it, it, it almost is, uh, I almost liken it to the stages of grieving. You know, we were scared at first and now we're accepting more and more and we're changing how, how we behave. But let's well, move it that's into... that's interesting, Jeff. There actually yeah. is, you know, in any crisis, there, there actually is these stages, not as many as that in, in, in grieving. But in any crisis, be it a pandemic or, uh, you know, 9-11 or whatever, what, what have you, there's a fear phase, there's a learning phase, and there's a growth phase. 
And the fear phase, you you saw what what many people got caught up in. Toilet you know, paper. Exactly. The hoarding of toilet paper makes no rational sense, but that's part of the fear phase. Many then evolved into the learning phase where you, you basically learn to control the things that you can control, let go of the things that you can't control. And, and secondly, you begin to look for verification of things. You don't take things at their word. You look for verification. And hopefully what our podcast is going to do, and again, we'll be doing this every two weeks, we'll be getting our colleagues pushed into the growth phase. That's the third phase. That growth phase is where you truly learn to adapt, have different behaviors. And some of, some of you out there will actually come out better for this. There's always a silver lining in, in this type of, of crisis. By the way, Jeff, when we begin to co-host in the future and we, we bring on special guests that'll help our colleagues, yeah. I want one of those Larry King microphones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to be special to get this microphone. <laughs> I feel like a nerd in a candy store. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about what 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 does this hold for private practice? Because I, I would assume most of our colleagues are in private practice and aren't just in a hospital setting. You know, what is it going to look like moving forward for a private practice? Yeah, I think that's part of the adaptation. Um, whether you're a large practice or a small practice, I, I, I'm sure everybody is going through some challenging times. Your, your cash flow has been hurt. Your production has been hurt. And I think what is going to happen over quite a long period of time, even as society begins to become comfortable going out and about, is these practices are all going to be um, subject to lower patient volume. And that's really the, the, the foundation of what we need to adapt to, lower patient volume. And I say that because of, well, really two reasons. Number one, People have to get over the public health crisis fear. We've got to know that there's medications to mitigate symptoms and prevent uh, and prevent deaths. But the second reason that people or why our practices will be suffering from lower patient volume, and this affects pretty much every business, is there's going to be from an economic perspective, what's known as a paradox of thrift. A paradox of thrift takes place because people have been economically hurt by this. Whether you are in business for yourself, whether you are employed, you've been economically hurt by this. So even after this begins to really resolve and that curve begins to completely flatten, people are going to want to hold on to their money. That's the paradox of thrift. They need to rebuild their own liquidity and capital reserves. Even businesses will do the same thing. For example, a business may have furloughed 100 employees throughout this pandemic, but they may bring back only 80 or 90 of those people. So because of the public health fear and the paradox of thrift, we've got to adapt to having lower patient visits. And even that, Jeff, has a silver lining to it. It's a double-edged sword. I think there's going to be many out there who really come out of this ahead as a result of that. So the difficulty really is getting uh, our colleagues or practitioners in private practice to understand uh, 
and we've talked about this for many, many years across the country when we're at seminars is getting off the treadmill and getting on to practicing very smart, uh, changing in uh, patient value, changing in how you're treating people, uh, overall uh, increasing patient outcomes, increasing what patients expect from you versus what they had been getting from you. Precisely right, Jeff. You hit it right on the head that this, the foundational adaptation to get through the paradox of thrift is going to be physician behavior changes. Whether you're a podiatrist, an orthopedic surgeon, a dermatologist, you've got to adapt to this lower patient volume. But like you just said, it's a double-edged sword because what we can then do is practice more comprehensively. You know that I speak to dozens of doctors every single week as business consult, as a business coach, as a business advisor. For years now, many of them have been seeing too many patients. Yeah. And as a result, they've passed the point of diminishing marginal returns. They're not practicing comprehensively. They're diagnosing, treating, and discharging. And that's not good for the patients, and it's not good for something you just mentioned a moment ago, which is the per visit revenue of the practice, the PVR of the practice. If we simply look at this lower patient volume and practice more comprehensively, so I'll challenge everybody listening with, with this. You know, uh, think about the last time you went to see a dentist, and I use this analogy all the time. If you've ever had the misfortune of having a toothache and you went to the dentist, the dentist definitely treated that bad tooth, but he or she also did a full examination and looked for anything else that may be subclinical that perhaps you were not even aware of. So we need to be the same way. When we have that child in the treatment room with the ingrown toenail, are you watching them walk? Are you looking at their foot posture? When you have the heel pain patient in front of you, and they have that early bunion deformity. Are you discussing that? Now you're going to have the time to do that. Now, it comes also down to this, Jeff. As you practice more comprehensively, you better be documenting more comprehensively. Everybody knows that the more you do, the more you're prone to audits. Well, that's right? the biggest nightmare. And uh, I guarantee you we could spend a whole episode on this one is and how do you document correctly? Yeah. So we're going to absolutely, I think we, we absolutely need to bring in an expert and talk about documentation because as you practice more comprehensively, you absolutely need to be documenting more comprehensively. I don't want anybody to be afraid of audits. We have to get over that fear. What yeah. I want you to fear is losing that audit substantially. But the biggest practices that I work with, the most productive practices that I work with, they get audited regularly. That's not the problem. Losing the audit is the problem. So documenting with the correct verbiage, using local coverage determination or LCD verbiage, uh, making sure you're not using boilerplate notes. Uh, you and I are both, you know, we, we've both been born and raised with templates and point and click templates, yeah. but I'm not even an advocate of that anymore personally with the way I think we need to adapt. I'm, I'm far more believing in the voice recognition technologies that are out there. These are the things that will allow people to document robustly. It has changed. It has immensely changed the uh, technology to enable us to practice effectively and using and leveraging that technology. No doubt in my mind. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about the different podiatry in general faces two different crises within itself. Uh, the aging practitioners and the younger practitioners coming up. And this crisis, uh, the adaptations that each is going to take is going to differ a little, don't you think? Yeah. And again, I go back to that double-edged sword. Um, I think it is going to affect seasoned practitioners differently than newer practitioners. In fact, many of the uh, many of the residents that I speak to are in a state of panic, thinking, you know, how am I even going to get a job? But in every crisis, there's always opportunities. There's always that, you know, Newton's law where you have equal and opposite reaction. It's going to affect seasoned practitioners, some of whom may decide to retire a bit earlier. Um, maybe they, they're, they're, they're not comfortable adapting and maybe they're well off enough to be able to retire. Well, there's the opportunity. That's going to leave room for the newer practitioners. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is. Uh, you said you you said it really well that uh, crisis breeds opportunity, and that's uh, kind of the way that the most successful practitioners that I know look at everything, uh, no matter what comes comes along the way. Um, let's focus uh, for a moment on something that's important to all of us: cash flow, because that is. That is the make or break. Can I keep my doors open and can I not? So what kind of uh, essential adaptations do you think an office or a practitioner has to do to recover from this pandemic? Yeah, so it, your primary, everybody's primary concern right now has to be cash flow. Um, and, and soon what you'll need to be focused on, or I should say return to focus on, is both cash flow and profitability. But right now, cash flow takes precedent over profitability because it's your lack of cash flow that will put you out of business. And right now, you, you know, many of the podiatrists that I speak to, they're starting to ramp back up. But for a couple of months, they've been running at either zero volume or 50% volume dictated by the types of patients that they see. I found that, for example, wound care type of doctors weathered this storm a bit better than those who have a general podiatry practice because wound care being a lot uh, more essential, so to speak. But um, yeah, you know, cash flow absolutely is the most critical thing right now. And let's first differentiate between cash flow and profitability. Your cash flow is the money's the inflow of money in and the outflow of money out. Money is coming in from your account receivables and money flowing out from your account payables. You need to be able to pay your bills. Even if you have zero volume, you still have fixed expenses. Profitability, on the other hand, is what's left over. After all of those things are paid, profitability is basically what goes in your pocket. Right now, you need to focus on cash flow. So from and cash flow is dictated both by a revenue side and a cost side. From a revenue side, right now is the time to make sure you're taking advantage of all the stimulus programs, the PPE and whatnot. Get any loans that you can get your hands on if your cash flow has potholes in it. Your AR needs to be extraordinarily diligently worked like never before. What I recommend, Jeff, is that folks take a look at their biggest payers 
and those that owe them the most money, in other words, the lowest lying fruit, and work from your oldest claims backwards. This way, nothing gets timely filing. If you're short-staffed, you're not going to be uh, subject or, or uh, you, you're not going to be uh, basically uh, having subject to uh, timely filing. And work the lowest lying fruit. Now's not the time to get yourself involved in the weeds of difficult appeals and whatnot. Um, telehealth is another way of filling in some of the potholes if you're not engaged in telehealth. Also take a look while you have some of this downtime and you haven't really hit that point where your volume is returning, take a look at your clinical protocols. Your clinical protocols are gonna drive your per visit value. So do those clinical protocols need to be tweaked? Do you even have clinical protocols? I, again, I speak to many doctors who never seriously took their top five or six or seven diagnoses, wrote them down, structured out what they're going to be doing on each visit, integrating the staff into them so that they can delegate many of the tasks to. That's what will drive your per visit revenue in the future. All of those things will help with the revenue side. From the cost side of cash flow, it's time to take a look at all of your non-essential business costs. Non-essential, that's the key to this. Ask yourself this fundamental question. What expense can I reduce right now that will have absolutely no adverse effect on my practice six months from now? You don't want to hack and slash things that will ultimately affect your productivity as you're trying to get your practice out of hibernation. For example, you don't want to start drastically reducing your staff. Not only will that affect the, the forgivability of your PPE loan, but even more importantly, it's going to make it even harder for you to get out of this ditch. So take a critical look, but be very careful, making sure that you're not affecting any costs that you're going to need six months from today. You're absolutely right on that. And one of the things that you'd said uh, earlier, I meant to mention this, um, a lot of our colleagues do something that I call doctor math. They think uh, they don't understand there is a diminishing amount of return at some point. It's, it's, I can be really, really busy and the more busy I am, the better and more wealthy I'm going to be. And I'm going to check my bank account and see if there's money in it. And I know I'm doing really well is really not a great attitude. You, you have to look at, uh, cost. You have to look at everything involved in order to make a, an educated decision. So this doctor math of I'll make it up in volume is I hear that all the time. So there's a there's an old proverb that says volume overcomes the multitude of sins and <laughs> not in medicine. It doesn't no. because in medicine. There's there's a variety of economic reasons that that does not happen. So you mentioned uh, uh, you briefly said something about telemedicine while you were talking. And let's talk about that a little bit, because uh, is it here to stay? Is it our future for podiatry? Is it just a flash in the pan? What do you think about that? Good question. Uh, again, all I could do is prognosticate. Um, I think to some extent telehealth is going to be here. Um, podiatry, though, realize is for many of the people listening, podiatry is a very procedural oriented specialty. Um, so it can't work 
for uh, everybody, and it can't work to the same magnitude that perhaps other specialists can use telehealth. But I do indeed think that, you know, as part of the adaptive phase, the growth phase, I do believe telehealth, everybody should be set to do it. And I believe it'll be here in part indefinitely. Yeah, I do agree with that because even if uh, the cost of telehealth is minimal, if you compare it to the ability to reach out to a patient and keep them as one of your patients or perhaps help them when they can't leave the house. And this pandemic is not going to go away overnight. So we know we're looking at least until the end of end of this year that we're going to be facing some issues. So why not have that in your toolbox? Why not have it something that that you can you can definitely utilize? Exactly. Yep. Um, let's talk about, uh, since you have a pretty diverse background, people don't even know, or uh, well, actually you do sign your name with MBA, do, do you not? It's actually master's healthcare management. So you're a healthcare management master. So you, you understand business. So, uh, I'll put you on the spot. Uh, give me two tips, one specifically for business and the other one for managing our personal lives during this period. Ooh. Okay. Um, I think the business one I, I already hit upon. My biggest concern is that our colleagues, Jeff, and you know that's that's what we've committed our lives to here with with uh, with our company, helping our colleagues. My biggest concern is that some of our colleagues are going to get stuck in the fear zone or the learning zone and never make it to the adaptive, the adaptation or the growth zone. Um, so I, I encourage everybody be comprehensive. And, and this doesn't apply to all of you because I do work with doctors who are extremely comprehensive in their the way they view and treat patients. But many of you have lots of room for growth there, but be sure you also document. From a personal side, I think that um, my biggest tip here is to, is to pay attention to perhaps the biggest lesson that maybe this taught all of us, this pandemic in that liquidity is very important. Um, you've always heard that you need to have some money set aside for a rainy day. And as business consultants and advisors, I've always professed that you should have at least six months of living expenses, six to nine months of living expenses in cash should you ever come across something like this. Well, the rainy days here, we had no idea the rainy day was actually gonna be a monsoon. Um, so that may not even be enough, but I've, I've spoken to so many people who literally have zero liquidity. And I, 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 I lie awake worried about them as well. So those are the two tips. You have to have liquidity and you've got to practice differently, comprehensively uh, throughout this lower patient volume period. So I, I like I like those tips. In fact, uh, I think what we can do, uh, although we do have our episodes all planned out, I'm going to um, kind of shove them into some of our episodes talking in detail. Uh, I know this is our, our first uh, live video stream podcast, uh, so we're not as in depth as people want to be. But that's where we're going to go with this is, you know, you talk about increasing your, your patient visit value. How do you do that? How specifically, what language do you do? How do you restructure your office from what you normally know into doing that and how you make that happen? There's a ton of roadblocks to success in, in every practice. 
And you and I both know that there's a, there's a huge amount of common themes that we've seen. What, what makes practitioners successful in general is some, a common group of uh, variables that they all handle very similarly. You know, every practice has its own nuances and its own ways of doing stuff. But I think in our, some of our future episodes, we definitely need to uh, um, tackle those. Um, you know, it's simply down to are they looking at the correct benchmarks for their practice? And uh, I know a lot of our colleagues know about benchmarks. They don't know what they should be. They don't know what to do with them. So I foresee that as, uh, as one of our few future episodes. To Absolutely. Do. We can spend an entire podcast on that. Yeah. So you look for two tips, but I want to give a third. That's also very important right now. Everybody should be pulling off the shelf and dusting off their policy and procedure manual. Um, because it's unda undoubtable that your policies and procedures are going to have to adapt to this post-COVID world as well. Uh, everything down to your sterilization and sanitation procedures, um, your PPE and educating your staff on how to properly use PPE. I don't know if you're like me, Jeff, you, you go to the store to get some essentials and you see the way people are wearing PPE. Oh, and gosh, they, yeah. They may as well be wearing nothing. <laughs> um, but all of this should be part of your new policy and procedure manual. How many people you allow in the waiting room? How many people you allow in the treatment room? All your high touch points, how you're going to sanitize them. And by the way, part of that tip involves making sure you use those changes as part of your marketing strategy. Marketing right now is going to be more crucial than ever to help get you through this low patient volume as quickly as possible. Use those policy and procedure changes. Patients will love to hear how you're keeping them healthy and, and safer in your environment. I definitely agree. There, there are so many pieces to this puzzle, uh, and uh, we are going to dig much deeper on each episode, I think we'll focus on a particular aspect of it. You know, we've got the aspects of how do you handle your staff? How do you involve your staff in these changes and make these changes positively is a whole episode. In fact, yeah. John, I, if I didn't know better, a lot of this would make a good book. Ah, <laughs> there's a little hint there for you folks out there. Um, yeah, no doubt. We're going to have some very special guests that are going to dive deep into all of these topics we just covered, because these are topics that aren't only germane to post-COVID world, but they really have been uh, very important topics even pre-COVID. Absolutely. So uh, to lighten up, because uh, uh, we're nearing the end of our, our time, I, I don't want to run over. I want to retain it, uh, you know, 30 minutes or less or close to that. Um, I'm going to add a couple things to this to make this a little bit more fun. So I'm going to offer up some prizes, some valuable prizes to some of our, our, our viewers. Uh, so we've got two things that I call puzzlers, and we're going to put these out to you. And the idea is for you to solve or answer these puzzlers. Um, the first puzzler is going to be a little bit about you, John, because you've been around podiatry for quite some time. So uh, my thought is that yeah. So people, yeah, your shady background, that's for freaking sure. So uh, everybody knows uh, that uh, Dr. Juliana, John here, uh, has uh, been a pharmacist. Most people know that. Some do, some don't. But that was a previous career. And you've been a podiatrist. Uh, but there's another industry that you've worked in, uh, and people would be surprised by this. 
So uh, I'm, I'm going to ask our, our viewers if anybody can figure out what industry and how, how many years were you in that industry? Let's give them some. Oh, hints. gosh. Um, uh, I know what you're talking about. It, I, I literally started when I got my driver's license, worked my way through and up the industry mm -hmm. and even worked in it um, part time while I was a practicing podiatrist for many years. And it wasn't illegal. Now, There's it, nothing illegal. On Sundays. It was, it was <laughs> not illegal. Just want to make sure. So our first puzzler of, of, of the uh, first episode one, uh, Essential Adaptations, is what industry did Dr. Juliana uh, work in besides pharmacy and podiatry? Uh, and if you know the answer to that, you're going to send us an email at info at essentialadaptations.com. That's the first one. Now, the second one is uh, I'm, I'm pulling in for those of you that are um, movie trivia people. So right now you should be visualizing a painting. It's a very famous painting and uh, it's, a, it's in a very good movie. I'm not going to tell you the movie. All I'm going to tell you, it's in a movie. And for those of you that like the movie should know this painting. It's uh, it's uh, let me describe it to you this way, John. It's kind of no, you can't. But there's a dog looking one way and a dog looking the other way. <laughs> That'll, that's a good hint. So our viewers can see this. And if they have the answer to either what your your previous industry background was or what movie this painting was in, they just need to uh, email it to us at info at essentialadaptations.com. And they absolutely uh, can win a prize on that. And uh, uh, we will award the prize uh, next week, or actually it's in two weeks, because our next video podcast will be June 3rd, a Wednesday always at 8 p.m. And we will hopefully get that link out to everybody. After this uh, cast, it will be a consistent link so everybody can always know where to go. My intent is to um, stream this on uh, Vimeo, of course, which is our first one, but also hook in Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo together. Uh, pardon me because there's some technical issues on my part to get this right, but we will get it right so it'll be easy access for everybody. Um, and I got to tell everybody uh, before this, John, we spent about an uh, hour and a half trying to set this up correctly because there's certain software we've got to use for this. And boy, uh, uh, the inner nerd in me came out, but uh, we, we got it to go. And that I'm just happy about that. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we started that early so that we can make the 8 p.m. deadline, Jeff. But what I really wish we had were outtakes of the profanity that was coming out of here. <laughs> I that don't swear, John. Outtakes. Everybody knows I don't swear. Come on. Yeah, true. All right. So that uh, is episode one. Uh, also use that uh, email we gave out, info at essentialadaptations.com. If there's some particular podiatry topic you want to hear about, we will bring in industry experts. We'll talk about it. Even if you're a very successful practice and you want to be interviewed, we're interested in that also. But remember, the idea behind this is to be dynamic, to be the voice of podiatry, to discuss the things that aren't being dynamically discussed in a real-time basis. And I think this COVID uh, pandemic is a perfect launching point for this. Um, and uh, I want to thank my co-host for making this easy for me. You did most of the talking, which I like. Pleasure, pleasure. pleasure. We're, we're going to be doing equal talking. I want a microphone and headset. <laughs> it won't be as big as this one. <laughs> 
All right, that's it for our, our first shot at it. And hopefully we will see everybody June 3rd for our episode two. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.